with a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, we're so grateful that once again we can come and sing songs of praise and worship unto you, to hear your word preached, to just pray. We are so grateful that you have given us the freedoms that we enjoy day in and day out. Um, Many that uh, do not throughout the world. We ask that you would be with us. Send your spirit. Pour out your spirit upon us. Give us ears to hear. Give me the ability to speak your word. And let it all be unto your glory and honor. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We call a person who denies God an atheist. And so in a study that I was preparing myself for a series I wanted to do in Grand Living on the attributes of God, I read a book that Pastor Marty gave me, and it's called The Portrait of God. And it's based on the works of Stephen Sharnock, which is a Puritan theologian. And in doing so, another man took this long discourse on the topic, and he boiled it down into this book, and I thought it would be a good book to do a series on. Seeing that I did the series on the names of Christ, I thought I'd do the portrait of God and, and use that as a, a series at the Grand Living. But when I did that, something kind of jumped out of the book at me, and it sort of stuck in my mind and my heart, and I wrestled with it as I was rereading it, and that's what I wanted to share with you tonight. And a lot of, obviously, what I'm going to say tonight, I give credit to uh, our brothers who have put that material together in that book that kind of fostered my thinking And as I read the book, and as I read back through the book, I was surprised with a topic. A topic that he spends two chapters in a book that I think only has 20 chapters. So it's a lot. And it was on the existence of God and the folly of atheism. And he spends a lot of time on that. And it was to my surprise, and it caught my attention when I went back and read the book. And so that's what kind of started the juices going in my brain, and I was trying to figure out why, why did he spend so much time on the topic of atheism? And as I was studying it, and thinking about it, and just trying to reflect on that thought, it came Pretty clear, he wasn't just talking to unbelievers. He was talking to believers. And that's where he kind of said, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I get it, right? Because if you go to study the attributes of God, you're generally probably a believer, and you're just trying to enrich your thoughts and grow your mind and love for the Lord. But he spent so much time on atheism that it just that's that's the that's what kind of threw me off. But he was pinpointing and he zeroed in on not just the unbeliever, but also the believer. And basically he points out that even 
Christians, even saints, practically deny God. There's where we get the term practical atheism. All right? So atheism is a very simple word. We kind of know it, right? Without God, we deny God, right? We refute the existence of God. That's atheism. And so we have that. But what is this practical atheism? What's practical atheism, and how does it apply to the, the unbeliever and the believer? Well, this verse jumped off the book also. Here we go. The fool said in his heart, there is no God. Psalm 14.1. The fool said in his heart, there is no God. To me, if you tell someone to their face they're a fool, that's pretty harsh, right? It's pretty harsh. Brother, you're a fool. <laughs> I mean, that just, it's, so it struck me as, it's like God's word right here is zeroing in on something. So I looked up the word fool and in Hebrew, right? And if you thought that was harsh, listen to this. <laughs> fool means stupid. Call someone stupid. Wicked, vile person. Then I looked up God in this, and how does it use this? Not Jehovah, it's Eloah, which is judge. Okay, so we know that God's, we use in the Bible God for a lot of different names of God, and this particular one means judge. So I want to paraphrase or reread this and think, if the first time I read it sounded harsh, listen to this. The stupid, wicked, and vile person said it in his heart, there is no judge. Has a different emphasis. Has a different emphasis, doesn't it? What struck me, this is the, the root of a lot of our sin or a lot of our unbelief is the judge part. We don't want to have a judge. We don't, our nature does not want to submit to a judge. Someone that will hold us accountable. So when you read that, you read God, and maybe it, the full part sounds harsh, but it says God is our judge, and if you don't believe him, you're a fool. And if you don't submit to him, right? That's a judge is, uh, has authority over us. So that struck me, right? So as a Christian, we even resist that. But unbelievers, right, the atheist, does not want to submit to the authority of God. There's the rub, right? There's the fight. And that is part of our inherited nature. All sin is atheism. And in no matter what the circumstance, what the reasoning you have for that sin, it is an affront and a denial of the nature of God. An atheist is a person who denies God 
with their lips and or and or their hearts. So there's no wiggle room on this one. And we'll show you how it applies to the unbeliever as well as the believer. So we live in a world and globally it's said that 84% of all the people, global population, believe in God or some sort of God or are religious. That's kind of a high percentage. But it does give us an indication of why. It gives us an indication that most people, deep down, believe there is a God. And then in Romans, it kind of teaches us a little bit of how we deal with that. Romans chapter 1, 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Keyword, suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain. It's plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since creation of the world. In the things that have that he made, so that so they are without without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So when we, if you're an unbeliever, in essence what you're doing is you're just suppressing the truth, right? When you are denying God, you are suppressing the truth. It is self-evident through creation, this is what it says, right? Through his word, through our experience, we know there's a God and we end up suppressing that truth because we do not want to submit to God as our judge. If you think you're a pure atheist, and a pure atheist is someone who says, I don't believe there is any God, right? So this is a pure atheist. I don't believe there's any God. Think about this. Even Satan is not an atheist. He knows God. He just chose not to obey God. Let's take it to a natural world. You would be a fool and be called a fool if you didn't think there was a wind, right? can't see the wind. You live in Florida and you have a hurricane coming. You'd be a fool to think there's no wind. Because we experience the effects of wind. 
You'd be called a fool if you went up on top of this building and walked off and didn't believe in something you can't see, which is gravity. You'd be called a fool. You'd be called a fool. A lot of things you can't see if you deny them. If you deny certain things that are just self-evident, bad things could happen to you. So, why is it wrong to call someone a fool when they deny something like God? Right? If we know that God is, their self is self-evident through creation, through scripture, and through our own experience, it makes sense that we call them stupid or a fool because it is self-evident. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time about trying to prove the existence of God. Pastor does a really good job in Genesis. We've already gotten a good... But the Bible teaches us all of that. Most of us, I don't think. But I will touch on what Sharnock did. He points out there's three types of atheism. One I mentioned already. It's called uh, absolute atheism. Absolute atheism. Outright, period, no God, I don't believe in God. Then he calls another type providential atheism. Providential atheism. That is, there's no divine insight. There's no divine intervention. Right? So I believe there's a God... But God has nothing going on in our lives, right? Deism, right? God, yes, but practically he's not. We are just wound up toys and it just plays, it's just playing out in front of us, right? That is called providential atheism. But the one I want to focus in is on natural atheism. And this is a person that denies the pure nature of God, or they deny the attributes of God. This is the one that is subtle, and it affects Christians as much as anybody. And it's common. It's more common than you think. I'm going to steal another statement from Sharnock. He said, this type of atheism, natural atheism, describes a person who has an atheistic heart without an atheistic head. You believe in God here. You say you believe in God, but in your heart of hearts, you don't live a life that believes God. I'll read it again. It's natural atheism, denying the nature or the attributes of God, describes a person who has an atheistic heart without an atheistic head. Hmm. They don't question. This is, this is a person that doesn't question God. In fact, in fact they're very religious. They know their Bible. They go to church. 
they can say a lot of things. They sing songs. They pray. They know God here, but they don't know God here. Now we're getting towards closer to that practical atheism I spoke about earlier. Titus 1.16 describes this person this way. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. 2 Timothy 3.5 says, Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. 2 Timothy 3.7 Always learning, but never able to arrive at the truth. I thought this would help if we picked out some characters in the Bible that fall into this category of practical a practical atheist, a practical atheism. And so if I mention these individuals, you, you will probably be able to connect what I'm talking about or what he's talking about when he mentions this term. And it's not a term found in the Bible, right? There's no place in the Bible that says practical atheism. So here we go. The Pharisees and religious leaders... In the New Testament, Jesus criticizes the Pharisees and religious leaders for their hypocrisy and failure to live according to the spirit of the law. They exhibited external piety, but lacked true faith and compassion. We find that in Matthew 23. So the Pharisees would fall under this category of a practical atheist, but not Someone who's truly a believer. How about King Saul? King Saul was chosen by God to be the first king of Israel and at times demonstrated a lack of trust and obedience to God's commands. His actions showed a disregard for God's guidance and led to his downfall. We see this in 1 Samuel 15. So here's Saul Right? Chosen by God. God tells him to do something, and he does it, but he does it his way. And in that way, again, not honoring God, he falls under this category of a practical atheist. We believe in God. We have all the appearance of piety. We're doing it for God, but we are going to do it our way because we think our way is a little bit better. How about the classic Judas, right? Judas was one of Jesus' disciples, but betrayed him to the religious authorities for 30 pieces of silver. His actions revealed the lack of faith in Jesus' teaching and betrayal of his relationship. Classic, practical atheist. Even the apostles that were close to him did not know he was not a true believer. Practical atheist. The demons that Jesus confronted knew that he was the son of God. Right? They knew he was the son. When all the time he confronted someone that was possessed, they recognized the son of God. They weren't believers. Practical atheists. They did not 
in their practice, follow or believe in God in their heart. But now, I'm going to give you three more and see if these make any sense. What about Jonah? What about Jonah? God said, go to Nineveh and warn them, right? Right? Pending doom, right? He runs. He gets on a ship and he goes to Spain. He comes back miraculously by God, right? God intervenes, brings him back. And what does he do? He even grumbles that God is going to show compassion to warn those people. But I believe Jonah was a believer. He didn't trust God. He didn't want to do what God... So in practice, he was denying God. He thought they didn't deserve that compassion or that warning. How about the woman at the well? She told Jesus that there was a Messiah coming. She knew the scriptures. She knew what was passed on to her, that there was a chosen one coming. And Jesus says, I'm him. I'm the one. She believes. She's saved. But her life didn't, right? Even though she knew there was a Messiah, even though she knew the scriptures, she probably was well taught. She and her life, we know, did not resemble a person in their heart following after Christ or God, but we know she was saved. And then the classic one, how about Peter? Jesus tells him, you're going to deny me. Ah, no way, no way I'm going to deny <laughs> This is not going to happen, Lord. And he does. Why? Why did he? Fear, right? He was pressed. He was in a situation. He compromised under fire. He denied God. But we know Peter, truly a great saint. I would, with all the flaws of Peter, wish I was even close to being like Peter. So there we have a problem. We have practical atheists that are not believers, and then we have practical atheists that are believers. And the ones that we think are believers are really not believers. This is why practical atheism is dangerous. It's subtle, hard to detect, right? Who knew Judas was a practical atheist, a denier of God? He didn't. It's very hard to detect. So what do we have? In one case, we have a practical atheist who can fool man, but can't fool God. Then we have the Christian. Then we have the Christian, the true believer. Little faith, weak, thinks they get in a way with some kind of compromise here and there, denying God in so many ways. Hmm. Seems clear to me that it's easy to miss practical atheism in our lives and in the church.
I'm going to deal before I move on to kind of give more specific examples. I'm going to deal with the unbeliever first. So you think you don't believe in God. You're an unbeliever. And you say, I, I don't believe in God. A, a true atheist. Deep down you know there's a God. I'll leave you with this statement. It comes from Charnock. If you claim to be an atheist, I do not believe in God, right? And you're wrong. You've lost everything. If you're right, you gained nothing. I thought that was a powerful statement. I'll read it again. You claim to be an atheist. Think about this. To be an atheist, if you are wrong, you've lost everything. The promises of God. All that he has promised, you've lost it all. You don't believe there's God. But if you're right... You've gained nothing. You've gained some years in this life and you're going to go back in the ground. That's why atheism is an unreasonable position. If you say there's no God, you're really just lying to yourself. That's why the Bible calls you a fool. Now, there's a good chance... If you're here, you're not an absolute atheist. But you're someone here that just says, I'm not sure about this God. I'm not sure. I really don't know. I, I really don't know. Right? That's, a, that's an honest position. That's an honest position. In fact, the f that you're here may, may say that you're looking for that answer. And that's a good thing. And being here is a good thing. Better thing would be is crying out to Jesus to change your heart, to open your eyes, to help you hear so that you do believe in Jesus. We call that person agnostic, right? I don't know. I'm just... I'm, I'm just. But it's still the same end for an agnostic as it is for a pure atheist. Then we have the two practical atheists. The believer and the unbeliever. The scary one is, it's probably worse to be someone here who looks like Smells like, sounds like a Christian, but really isn't. It's probably worse than a true atheist. Every one of those people that I just described may be in this room. I don't know. But the one that sits in the pew week after week, year after year, and really does not know God... Your end is the same as the atheist who denies God or the agnostic. And so here we go. What do I do? You do what the atheist does or the agnostic. Cry out unto God. Ask Jesus to change your heart. 
so that you can believe, so that you can follow and have all that he promises. Repent and believe. Whether you're an atheist, I don't know, or a pretend Christian, that's your mission tonight. Cry out unto God. Cry out unto Jesus. Ask him to change your heart. That's the only thing that can, that's the only way you're going to be saved. If he changes your heart. If he does, you will inherit eternal life. Unbelievable. That's the promise. But now what do I do with the Christian practical atheist? The Christian practical atheist is a little bit trickier. Because you may not even know. You may not even understand what it means to be a practical atheist. Or you're living a practical atheistic life. So I'm going to give you a test. I'm going to put a test before you. And then I'm going to do some very specific examples to help us start to pinpoint. Has this sin of practical atheism entered into my life somewhere, somehow? Or even in the church. So here's the test. The test is, is God's will your rule? First test. Is God's will your rule? Are you willing to submit to what God says? Right? That's dealing with the submission part. Big deal. It's a big deal. Second one. Is God's glory your end? So in every decision, every situation that you face in life, is it being done with the motive of the glory of God? Two tests. Is God's will your rule is God's glory your end. These two considerations, if you neglect those two considerations, practical atheism will start to creep in. And let's go after that a little bit. So I plucked out a few of the attributes of God and try to think of examples where practical atheism bumped up against the nature of God. God is said to be all-powerful, omnipotent. God's all-powerfulness, right? So a practical atheist facing financial difficulties would rely solely on their own strength, their own intellect, to solve their problem. They exhaust all kinds of human strategies. They go out and get an additional job, seek worldly financial advice, but they lack to go to the Bible, to God, to pray to see what principles they could apply in their lives. So I thought of an example. You want to buy a house. 
you don't tell anybody, you don't talk to the pastors, you don't talk to your best friend, you just, you just want to buy a house. No problem. And you're looking, 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 you find a house you really like, but it's a little bit like stretches, right? Stretches your budget, maybe even to the, right to the end. But you love the house. You love the house. Snatch it up, close the deal. Six months later, having a hard time paying the bills. Always costs more than it appears, right? So what do you do? You go out and find that part-time job. Because it would be a bad testimony not to pay your bills. I'm a good Christian. Got to pay my bills. You get that part-time job, but it requires you to work every Sunday. Ouch. Oh, God will understand. Won't he? He, he I got to pay my bills. God will understand. Keep on going. You do that for a little while. Guess what? Still can't make ends meet. I'm going to cut back on my tithes. Do you see where I'm going? Practical atheism, when under pressure, when we're in a situation, we lack to seek God's will first, we then find ourselves in a situation, it's not pleasant, and we start to compromise in different levels. We are denying the power of God. We, right from the beginning, and it continues, and it continues to slide. Practical atheism. How about God is all-knowing? Does he know when you're going down the highway and someone, you're in the car all by yourself, someone cuts you off, and you start cussing and ranting, and really you run up to them real close, and you try to make them realize you're mad, right? Do you think God doesn't know that? Some of these will overlap. Do you think, do you think when... Your wife goes off to a three-day conference in your home alone and you start watching things on TV that you shouldn't watch if she was there. I'm alone. Do you think God doesn't see that? Doesn't know that? How about you have your phone you realize, right, everybody here realizes if you have a smartphone, you're probably three to four clicks away from the worst evil in the world, right? But when you're alone, it's just you. Is it just you? Does not God know? See? Or what if you're single? What if you're single and you're not a young person? You're lonely. And you start getting on websites. And you think those websites, you justify it in your mind because you're alone. God hasn't provided me a a spouse. Do you think God doesn't know? Practical atheism creeps into our lives when we make excuses. When we start to rationalize and justify Certain behavior, and we don't really, we don't repent of it. 
We just kind of deal with it. We think, we think we're okay because we're not getting caught, right? How about justice? Do you think God doesn't know if you cheat on your taxes? Do you think ultimately you will be judged? Because no one knows you figured out a way to scam the government. You know how you justify that? They waste money anyhow. They waste money anyhow. They give it to abortion stuff. I have a, what's the big deal? It's a few thousand dollars, a few hundred dollars, whatever. Practical atheism. You have a job. Company buys you out. You don't think God has a plan. He doesn't understand. The Bible doesn't kind of deal with today's complicated world and all the business things that are going on. It's too complicated. You don't ask anybody. You don't consult any principles of the Bible. You start to, in your mind, imagining, man, I might get a new boss. I'm not so sure about this. I might want to just jump, right? Do you think you know more than God? You don't know. You don't know you're going to have a bad boss. You don't know if that company is going to do something bad. But you start to imagine it, and you start to make decisions based on your fears and not really trusting the Lord. See, we deny God over and over in situation after situation. Usually when we're under pressure, usually when we're in some kind of pressure cooker, and we have to make a decision, Often we make those decisions sometimes without consulting God or trusting God. Let's go back 2,000 years. Jesus was just killed. Stephen is just stoned, martyred. Persecution starts to set in. Church scatters. There's this guy named Paul hunting us. Do you think they're under the gun? Do you think they had some doubts? Do you think they're in a situation where it's bad? This is not good. And it's not going to get any better. And then all of a sudden, Jesus saves Paul. Did you see that coming? If you were in essence, you didn't see that coming. Nor do we see what's coming. Do we know? No, we don't. But see, we might make decisions under that situation to compromise, to save our necks, not knowing that God has a plan, Eddie's at work. Do we believe Jesus is alive and working today, right now, and in our midst? Is he not active? Is he not all-knowing? Does he not do things for our good? Do we believe that? Do we really believe that? My goal... And I told my wife I was going to go long. She said, don't go long. (laughs) 
I'll try to speed up real fast. The reason I did so many examples is that we tend to hear messages that our brother, our pastor preached the last two weeks and think it doesn't apply to us. Sin is in all kinds of forms. Practical atheism has crept into the church. It can creep into our church. If we want to grow the numbers, do you preach messages that you heard the last two Sundays? I doubt it. I doubt it. You don't even preach what I'm trying to say. Why? It scares people. It takes them back. It makes them say, I'm a sinner? Yes, we all are. And it, it's real, right? He didn't skip the hard stuff. He could have skipped the hard stuff. He didn't. Why? Because he cares about our souls. And yet, practical atheism creeps into church when we want to grow the numbers, know that that's not a popular message, and we don't preach it. So what? We can build the numbers up. Wow, big deal. Now we got more Sunday-only Christians. So, practical atheism will creep in. We've got to have a program. Track the families with kids. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's look at that church. They got a band. Let's look. Practical atheism. We don't trust God. We don't trust preaching the word of God. We don't trust singing hymns. We don't trust the basic principles that we find in the Bible that God has given. It worked for Jesus. Why isn't it going to work for us? Oh, we can't. He doesn't understand what's going on in this world. He doesn't understand kids today. Got to have a rock band, right? Got to have a rock band. Did you ever hear rock, Christian rock? To me, it sounds just like, just sounds like everybody else. They look the same, too. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, I don't get it. But anyhow, practical atheism is in the church, and it creeps in. Guess what? If you are a practical atheism, atheist, you might leave this church to go find someone to tickle your ears or has a program because you want that. You're not willing to listen to the hard stuff, the truth. How do we keep it from entering in? How do we keep it from entering in? Well, this is going to be boring. Blocking and tackling. Blocking and tackling. You don't win a football game if you can't block and tackle. Fundamentals. Got to do the fundamentals. They seem like blasé. Prayer. True prayer, fervent prayer, consistent prayer, as Paul said, right? Have to read your Bible, not just a, uh, a Spurgeon morning and evening and check it off. I did my devotions. Study the Bible. Study the Word of God. Know your scriptures. Grow. Stop just drinking milk. Start eating meat, right? Blocking and tackling. Third one, don't be fooled. The world, the world is shaping your opinions, your values, your ideology. The more you're in the world, the more it will shape you. Simple as that. Blocking and tackling. We know this, right? That's how we keep ourselves from letting this practical atheism can 
pick it away at us, compromise, compromise, compromise. I said I'd go fast. It's hard to go fast, but I'll try. I'll read this. As we recognize the signs of practical atheism and the ways it can enter our lives, let us heed the warning of Scripture. We must resist the temptation to be superficial. We must resist the temptation to live a Christian life and a worldly life. Compartmentize your worlds, right? At work, I'm one way. At school, I'm one way. At church, I'm another way. Careful. Resist this. Rely, relying solely on your own strength is not the way to go. There is a word in the Bible, right, that says together, right? All together, to one another, one another, right? It's this community that helps us. It's not our own strength. It's the strength of God, the strength of our Lord. It's the strength of the Spirit. It's the strength and the provision that he provides for us. The unbeliever, don't let it be said of you someday that I never knew you, right? Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. But the Christian Christian, believer, is it God's will, your rule? Is it God's will, your rule? Is it God's glory, your end? Do you believe God is, in every situation, every decision, eternal, unchanging, all-present, all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful, perfectly holy, perfectly good, and has dominion over all things. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? I understand the practical atheist is not saved. I understand. But Christian, listen up. We live in a time where we can't be Sunday-only Christians. We can't compromise anymore. We can't just sit on the sidelines and let somebody else do the heavy lifting. We have to get dirt under our fingernails. We live in a time where we've got to step up. Now's the time to stop compromising our walk. Now's the time to eat Meet, grow, become mature. Stop being a baby Christian. Now's the time to be on high alert for all the dangers I just pointed out. They will creep in. They do creep in. Now's the time for us to step up and prepare ourselves for the battle. There is a battle. It's spiritual and physical. Now's the time to put off the old ways and put on the new. Let us repent 
of our sins together. Let us resist the temptations to compromise. Let us run the race to win. And then let us rejoice in victory with Christ Jesus. We are, we are fools if we think some of these things I mentioned is not affecting our witness to the world. When we do not look different than the world and we talk like the world and we look like the world, guess what? We are less effective. We're just like them. We are the fools. We are the hypocrites. Don't let that be said of us. My brothers and sisters, I, when I read this and thought about this, I did, this is me, right? Over my life, I can see myself in all this, unfortunately. We can't afford it anymore. We are facing hard times. And the evil one is taking advantage. I pray. I pray you will hear this warning. Don't think it's out there. It's right here. It's right here. Let's not fall prey to this type of thinking and sin. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I don't know if the message that you wanted me to say came out just right, but I pray, Father, I pray that today we will recognize that we need you more than ever. We need you to cleanse us. We need you to help us. We need you to guide us. We need you to awaken us. We need to be true believers Help us, Lord, not to compromise day in, day out. In what we think we're getting away with, we pray, Father, we pray that you will continue to be patient with us and then stir us up, cause us to grow up, to be like you, our Savior. You laid it all on the line. You put it all. You died for us. Help us to pursue that kind of mentality. Give us the right motives and desires in our hearts and passion to bring honor to you, to serve you well, and to fight the fight again for your glory, for your honor. Hear us, Lord. Hear our cries. Be merciful to us. Help us now, we pray. In Christ's holy name, amen.